All right, now, last time we looked at some profound stuff. Let me just recap a little bit last time. This is deep stuff, but it's in the Bible, which is very deep. This is the most profound book you will ever read. Oh, by far, the most profound book you'll ever read. Now, we saw last time that Christmas didn't really begin in Bethlehem with Joseph and Mary and the little baby born in a manger. It's not where it began. But Christmas began way, way, way long ago. Well, let me just read Peter to you. Peter writes, God chose him, that is Jesus, as your ransom. Listen to these words, long before the world began. Not just before, long before. Jesus was chosen before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. So all of the the birth of Jesus was and is, as profound as it was and is, it was a fulfillment of what God had already decreed and decided long before the world began. It's a mind twister, but it's true. And we're dealing with eternal God. And when you're dealing with eternal God, you're dealing with a God that doesn't live in time. He doesn't dwell in time. He dwells in eternity. And so long before the world began, way before Bethlehem in the manger, long before Genesis 1 verse 1, long before, reaching further and further into endless eons of unmeasurable time, God chose Jesus to be our ransom. And that's when Christmas was first conceived. It started right there. And we saw last time also that Jesus was not some first century flower child walking around, sort of tiptoeing through the spiritual tulips, saying neat things, wearing sandals and long hair, and uh, saying things that just gave people a warm fuzzy. No, 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 no. Jesus was very God wrapped in skin. That's what we need to get a hold of. We are told in the Bible that he was in the form of God. Philippians 2.6, he was in the form of God. Another translation says he was in the very nature of God. He was in very nature God. And then another one says, though he was God. Jesus was God. When Jesus looked at you, he read your mail. The reason he could read your mail is because he was God. Knowing the end from the beginning, from everlasting to everlasting, he is, has always been, and always will be. If you really think about it, it really really will twist your mind into a pretzel shape. But we're dealing with great and mighty God. That's who Jesus was. So Christmas is a whole lot more. Really, it has little to do with Christmas trees and white snow and reindeers and packages and shopping and eating a turkey and all of that good stuff. Let me tell you what Christmas is. Christmas is all about a miraculous moment, unprecedented, never before had it ever happened nor will it ever happen again that God the Son left heaven to become one of us. Paul the Apostle wrote, it is quite true that Christ came to the earth as a man. John wrote, and the Word became flesh, the Word being Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us made his home among us, lived among us. And and John said, here's what it was like watching him. We beheld his glory, 
The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace, said John, full of truth. This Jesus. You know, we talk a whole lot about Joseph and Mary and how far they went when, when uh, the decree went out that they needed to come and register for taxation. And, and here's Mary, nine months pregnant. And they had to make a long journey. They had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And, and we've talked about that. I've preached on this, the long journey they made. It was about 80 to 120 miles. Now, ladies, think about it. Mary was nine months pregnant. She didn't have a Mercedes. She didn't have a, an SUV. She did not have a jet. She did not have a private plane. She made it on a camel. Nine months pregnant. Way to go, Mary. That's incredible. Now, and we've also discussed how the wise men, I've preached on this before, these, these wise men, these Persian astronomers who saw the star in the east and, and, and they looked at it and they said, what in the world is that, that star? It just absolutely mystified them to the point where they couldn't resist it. That star was like dangling an astronomical carrot in front of their face, and they couldn't leave it alone. So they packed up everything and journeyed, and they went about 800 miles. It took almost two years. So when you look at everything that revolved around this amazing miracle of Jesus coming to earth, it it, it caused a lot of journeying to go on. Joseph and Mary journeyed. The wise men journeyed, but nobody journeyed like Jesus did. Nobody. He went much much, much further than this to reach us. He left heaven and came to earth to reach us. In Africa, a missionary teacher did her best to explain the meaning of the Christmas holiday to her children. And as part of the explanation to make Christmas make sense for them, she said, look, the reason we give presents is because God gave to us the, the gift of his son. So that's why we give presents at Christmas time. And one boy, one little guy there was in particular really intrigued by this. Really, listen, fascinated by her words. And so when Christmas Day came, this little boy brought to his teacher this amazing, extraordinarily beautiful seashell. And when she asked him, she said, where did you get this beautiful seashell? He told her, well, shells of this kind come from a certain bay that is a few miles away. He was just a little guy. So she said, you shouldn't have gone that far, sweetie, to bring me this gift. And here's what he said in broken English back to her. Long walk, part of gift. Long walk, part of gift. Can I tell you the journey Jesus made? Part of gift, the long walk, the longest journey ever taken. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Long walk, part of gift. Here's the miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas is that For about 33 years, God moved to our neighborhood. He inhabited our edge of the solar system. He came to earth. 
The Bible says he made his dwelling among us. He, he, he pitched tent among us. He made his home among us. He did it so that he could feel our pain and empathize with our plight. And so that we could understand God. Because looking at Jesus, you understand God. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen God. He made his dwelling among us. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He, he, he grew up like any other little boy. He belonged to a family. He grew up normally. He played with his little friends in the streets of Nazareth. He went to school and was faithful in the worship of the synagogue. His habit was to go to church. The Bible says that when he came out of the wilderness, he went into the synagogue to teach, as was his habit. From the time he was a little boy, he was in the habit of being faithful to church. He worked with his hands. He was a blue-collar guy. He worked with his hands in his father's carpenter shop, and, and, and he learned the skills of a trade, just like many of you have done. He lived among the people. He attended weddings. He attended funerals. He saw our hopes and dreams, and he saw our disappointments and our sorrows. He knew that we were enslaved to sin. See, the, the arrival of Jesus was a divine rescue mission. Uh, when he was born in that manger, remember, it had already been decreed by God eons and eons before, and the reason he came and wrapped himself in flesh is because we were going to be completely destroyed in our sin if we were not redeemed. And so it was a rescue mission. And in, this is what gets me. In some indefinable way, he added manhood without subtracting deity. He was fully God and fully man, fully man and fully God. All man, all God, all God, all man. He was the God-man. The God-man. He never lost that deity. When you looked at Jesus, you were looking at God wrapped in skin. The love of God now beat in a human heart. The wisdom of God now spoke from human lips. Jesus was God wrapped in humanity. When God took upon himself a human form, he did not live above us condescendingly. He didn't live beneath us. He didn't live away from us, but he lived with us. That's why Emmanuel means God with us. He's with us. Emmanuel. God with us. He's with you in your pain, with you in your perplexity, with you in your confusion, with you in your plight. He watches you, watches over you. He's with you. He's in you, and he loves you, and he'll never fail you and never forsake you. Now, now I want to look at something today. I've never preached on this, but I'm, I'm going to quite like this. We're going to look at, at, at something else that just jumps out at me out of Philippians 2, verse 6. The stunning unselfishness of Jesus. It says in 2, verse 6, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, let me give you two other translations to help you understand it. He did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Now, here's my favorite one. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges in order to come here and save us. 
In order to redeem us, Jesus must let go of what he had in glory with the Father. See, he turned loose of some things so that he could grasp some things. He let go of some things, and he became our example. In order to save us, he had to let go. He had to walk away. He had to lay some things down. And this is the mind blower. One commentator says this, he did not regard his equality with God as an object of covetous desire. Though he possessed the divine nature, he did not eagerly seek to retain his equality with God. But instead, here's what Jesus did. He stepped out of glory, out of heaven, out of his place, out of his position. He stepped out and made the longest journey of all time in order to become one of us. Long walk, part of gift. Jesus himself tells us that it was his decision to do this. He wasn't made to do it. He wasn't coerced to do it. He wasn't forced. He decided it was his decision. Listen to what he says. John 10, this is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life so I may take it up again. Then he makes sure we get it. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So there's only one conclusion we can draw from this, and that is Jesus was stupendously unselfish. He could have said, no, I won't. But he said, yes, I will. Do you get that? He could have said, no, I won't. He told the disciples at Gethsemane, he said, look, look, if I wanted to, I could call on 12 legions of angels right now, and they would come, and they would whisk me out of here at my word. He could have, but he didn't, because he was supremely, consummately, amazingly, perfectly unselfish. What this means is he didn't think of himself first. He thought of us. He did not put himself first or his own interests ahead of ours. And that rocks my world, folks. I don't know about you, but about once a year, I'm selfish. No, I'm selfish all the time. It's so easy to think about me and, and put myself first, but not Jesus. It's in his nature. Now, let me point out that um, when Jesus did this, the Bible says this is the way that you ought also to be. This is the way you ought to be. You ought to be willing. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul wrote two verses before he tells us about the unselfishness of Jesus. He says, let each of you look not, uh, look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Then he said, let this mind, this unselfish mind, this unselfish character, this unselfishness, let the same thing be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not put himself first, but he put others above himself. He said, let you be that way. You be that way. If you want to be like Jesus, you be that way. Not easy, is it? 
Kathy is this way. She, she always thinks of other people. All those cards you get when it's your birthday and I get credit for, I didn't do it. She did it. And um, she's always thinking of others. Even in all these treatments she's been going through, she'll think, now I'm going to call so-and-so and see how they're doing and send a card to this person and that person. There is a core in Kathy that is totally unselfish. But see, when I see that in other people, I can look up and see where it's supremely manifested and modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. He was unselfish. Now, let me just share with you a few things that Jesus gave up to make that long journey to us. Are you ready? First of all, he gave up, I believe, his heavenly body. Do you know that one day we're going to be taken out of here? And when we are taken out of here by God... We're going to be, receive a glorified body. And, and that glorified body is going to do for you what curves could never do. It's going to be a glorified body. You're not going to have to diet anymore. You're not going to have to work out anymore. You're not going to have to run anymore, cycle anymore, any of that. You're going to have a glorified body. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, but Jesus gave up. He had to have his heavenly body to put on a body of flesh. Because Paul says of him, who being in the form of God. He was in, before he came to earth, he was in the form, the essence of God. Now, whatever that means, I think it's safe to say that Jesus gave up whatever body, whatever form he had in glory, he gave it up in order to put on the form of a man. He gave it up. What is a glorified body? Well, you know, maybe what he gave up was a body like he had out of the resurrection. His body after the resurrection was amazing. It was not subject to natural law. He walked right through closed doors. If the door was locked, he walked through it. His body defied natural law. You say, Jeff, do you really believe that? Of course I do. Of course I do. His body wasn't subject as a resurrected body to natural law. He would suddenly appear in a room from nowhere. Here would be the disciples all gathered together, afraid that the Romans were going to find them. And suddenly, poof, Jesus is in the midst. And he says, fear not. Hey, if you appear in the midst of me and, and the door is locked, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fear. He said, fear not. Touch me. Hold me. Talk to me. He was not subject to gravity. His glorified body, when he ascended back into glory, into heaven, went back to the Father. The Bible says in the book of Acts, he simply floated up into the clouds and disappeared out of the disciples' sight. Can you imagine after that? And then turning and looking at each other and saying, I think we better go preach. Because our Lord just went back into heaven. But see, even more than all of that, before Jesus left heaven, he existed as the very essence of God, the very essence of God, which we can't begin to reconstruct in our thinking. We can't imagine what that means. He was in the form of God, the essence of God. Jesus gave up his heavenly body or the form, the form that he had in order to wrap himself in human flesh with all of its restrictions and limitations. He gave it up and made a long journey 
Second thing Jesus gave up was the glory he had with the Father. Before the world began, listen to what Jesus said. And now, Father, he's praying in John 17. He says, now, Father, reveal my glory as I stand in your presence, the glory we, Father, shared before the world began. Wow. You know what he did right there? He claimed deity. He said, hey, Father, I'm about to come home again, but now, Lord, I want you to show your glory, my glory, the one that I shared with you, the glory that I shared with you before earth was created and there were any stars or anything you can see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. He says, Father, I had that with you before the world began, but I gave it up. I walked away from it. I laid it down. That's powerful stuff, church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And and I want to be clear. In saying that he gave up the glory that he had with the Father, what I'm not saying, I am not saying he gave up his deity. Because Jesus never once gave up his deity. He was always God, man, man, God, the God, man. He never, ever, for a millisecond, gave up his deity. He remained all God while on earth. His godness was simply concealed by the flesh that he lived in. You had God wrapped in flesh. And the flesh and its limitations concealed the godness in all of its fullness. And you know what? Just as long as I'm on this, let me be also clear that Jesus never for a moment on the cross literally became a sinner. He never did. Jesus did not become a sinner. I've heard it taught that he became a sinner, that his nature fell, that he went down into hell, fought the devil, and in hell was born again. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard it. Let me, let me just clarify. He was our sin sacrifice. But never did the Lord Jesus experience a fallen nature that needed to be born again like we do. Jesus remained God on the cross. The Bible says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason we're here today is because every sin we ever committed, every wrong thought, every evil action, every wrong word, anything we ever did contrary to God's word and God's law, that sin was laid on Jesus on the cross. And... And he was judged for your sin and mine. And that's why the Bible says, what are we going to do if we neglect so great a salvation? How can we neglect so great a salvation? Because you see, even though he took that sin on himself on the cross and was judged for your sins and mine, it doesn't activate in your own life unless you look by faith to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. And then and only then does does it apply to you. You must repent. You must come to him. You must say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead, and I place my faith in you to forgive me of my sin. Then what he did on the cross applies to you. But if you don't do it, if you turn away from so great a salvation, then you will answer for your own sin instead of him answering for your sin for you. 
He left His glory and so much more to become one of us. What was the glory that He had in heaven? Well, we know He had the adoration of the angels. They adored Jesus, worshipped Jesus, obeyed Jesus. He existed in heaven. This is part of the glory He left. He existed in an inconceivable environment, unstained by sin, unstained by flesh, untouched by trouble. We know that heaven is a place where the high praises of God are echoing back and forth across the chambers of glory over and over endlessly. Let me tell you something. If you don't like praising and worshiping God, you're not going to like heaven. You might as well warm up now and learn how to praise and worship God because that's all we're going to be doing. And you know what? We're not going to be bored doing it. Oh, I don't know. I, you know, I can worship for a few minutes, but then I'm going to be bored. Oh, no. You will be casting any crown you got at his feet. You will be overwhelmed by the amazing power and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be swallowed up in glory. Swallowed up in glory. In that glorious heaven, whoa, I pulled the mic up. In that glorious heaven, Jesus was equal to the Father, and he enjoyed a bliss and an ecstasy we can't begin to fathom. But he laid it down to come here. Totally unselfish. He left this glory to become one of us. Now, the last thing I want to mention, probably the most humbling aspect of what Jesus did, he gave up his dignity. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Think with me for a moment. In the heavenly realms, Jesus was all loved. He was all worshipped. He was all honored. He was all respected in glory. But here's what he did when he came to earth. He intentionally put himself into the hands of his own creation, us. And when he did that, it was anything but heavenly. When he arrived here after his long journey, Herod hated him. The scribes ignored him, and there was no room for him in the inn. He was born out back. It was like a Motel 6, and there wasn't a room in the Motel 6. They didn't even let him stay in the lobby. He went out back where the animals were. Only the shepherds, the wise men, the poor, and a few foreigners acknowledged his arrival. The rest of the world, the rest of the world he came to redeem didn't even acknowledge him. And not much has changed today. The birth of Jesus is increasingly slipping away from our cultural awareness to America's demise, I might add. Because when you reject Jesus, you reject everything that he taught, forgiving one another, walking in love, being kind, being good, not living in the darkness of sin. Everything he came and taught. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, loaded with wisdom for life and living. When you reject Christ, you reject all of that. And what is left but a dark vacuum that you slip into when there's no more wisdom. And that's where America's going. John said he came into the world he created, and the world that he created did not receive him. Not like heaven. He was born into a borrowed feeding trough and a borrowed stable. He gave up all the trappings and furnishings of God, gave them all up. 
Then as a child, amazingly, here's God wrapped in skin. Even when he was 12 years old, his, his wisdom was blowing away the aged doctors of his time. But as a child, having all this wisdom and all of this godness, he submitted himself to the authority of his parents. If Jesus can do that, so can the teens. Okay? He submitted himself to his teachers. He submitted himself to the Roman soldiers. He submitted himself to the government. Jesus paid taxes. He got them out of a fish's mouth. I wish I could learn that. Go out there fishing one day and bring in your tax money. I'd love it. Lord, give me a word of wisdom. Where's the lake? But Jesus, Jesus, when he left it all, when he walked away, when he made that long walk, that long journey, and came to earth, when he got here, he was scorned, rejected, slandered, abused, lied about, beaten, whipped, crucified. He left a place of perfect glory and bliss to come to a world like this. He left more than you and I will ever know. He really did. And you know why? Because he was unselfish. Thinking of you and me more than himself. And he came a great, great distance in order to reach us. Truly, long walk was part of gift. Now here's the deal. Jesus came all that way. And all he wants from you and me is that we would take one step toward him. He took a million towards us. But he says, I just want you to take one step. I think of that one step. What a powerful step it is. When I was in juvenile home as a 16-year-old for sale of narcotics, and I was in all kinds of deep, deep trouble, and I never heard the gospel. And I heard about this Savior that had come all this way for you and for me. And it struck me between the eyes. It grabbed my heart. And it was the first time I ever heard it. And I said, what do I do? And I took one step, a step of faith. I'm amazed at what that one step did. I mean, really, I had friends that went this way. And one step, and I went this way. I have buried some of the ones that went this way. The drugs got them. The alcohol got them. The crazy wild living got them. One step, and it took me that way. All he wants from you is one step of faith. Where are you today with him? He's already come to you. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice... And opens the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. I'm knocking here. I'm him. Knock, knock, knock. And you say, who's there? And I say, I'm Jesus. I've come a long way to reach you. And all I ask you to do is open the door. Just open it and take a step of faith. And I'll totally change your life. Can we stand up together today?